politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Miniman standing at the ready to fight anew for liberty once again to the CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house today. It is Monday, Thanksgiving week. Unfortunately, a truncated week. We're going on vacation on Wednesday. I didn't realize uh, the blaze will be dark Wednesday, so we're going to have to fit a lot into just two days this week. And we really need 10 days in this week to cover everything. Obviously, there's a ton going on in COVID fascism, uh, stuff being racked up. The, the amount of vaccine injuries is insane. The data we have, the studies we have, the info we have, the ideas we have. But today, we're going to have to cover another story. Because this is not the only kill shot on America. They're also killing us with crime. They're killing us with a blood libel against whites in this country. And yes, I'm talking about Wisconsin. I planned on talking about the aftermath of the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, uh, decision, the verdict. I put out a four-minute video on Friday because the decision came out after the show. But then we have the attack in Waukesha, which could very well be related. And there is so much to unpack here, what it means for the culture, what it means legally, what it means for crime, and what it means politically about the Republican Party and where they stand. So there's a lot to talk about, even non-COVID news. We really need two shows today. I, I was going to have Dr. Mark McDonald again to talk about fear from a psychological standpoint with COVID, but we're going to have to do that at, an, at another time because we simply don't have enough time today. Um, so let's get right into it. Uh, again, it is going to be a short, abbreviated week, so you're going to want to follow me at RM Conservative on Twitter throughout the week. Obviously, like everyone else, I will take a break in honor of Thanksgiving, but uh, that's where you'll find me uh, for the for the remainder of the week. Um, first sponsor today, you know, Moinkbox. Moinkbox makes the healthiest, best-tasting meat and chicken you will ever get. Find out why so many people are joining the Moinkbox universe to get delivered to their home grass-fed, healthy, healthy pork and chicken, wild-caught American salmon, Alaskan salmon, directly brought to your door. Um, You know, basically, we have a cartel with agriculture, just like we have with Big Pharma, with the vaccines and everything, where they're pushing this processed food on us, um, those of you who listen to the doctors on this show, you know a high-protein diet is healthy, but the problem is a lot of the chicken and meats, they come with antibiotics, hormones, sugar, who knows what else is put into it. Uh, Moinkbox is founded by an eighth-generation farmer. Uh, they were featured on Shark Tank. There's a great video of them, um, and they they really are pure American farmers that should be supported. Join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash conservative right now, and listeners can get free bacon for a year. That's one year of the best bacon you'll ever taste, uh, but for a limited time. So go right now, M-O-I-N-K box.com slash conservative. That's moinkbox.com slash conservative. Join the people who are getting moinked every day. Okay, so folks, we had the, the the verdict, and what I found that was very interesting about it is that it was kind of a unifying moment. 
all these so-called conservatives and thumbsuckers, suddenly the people that were never there on the right side of the issue when it happened and even said the wrong things, now like, yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible what happened to Kyle. But in reality, like always, the Republican Party on the issues that matter, when they matter, and in the way they matter, not only are not there for us, they are downright pushing the gas pedal on the other side. And just like with COVID fascism, that at the time it mattered, and the way it mattered, and still matters, the Republicans are downright promoting the vaccines. They're promoting COVID fascism. They promoted the masks when they mattered. Um, It turns out, when it came to the racial... Warfare, the two-tier justice system we have in this country. And when it came to crime, they were on the other side that caused all of this. They supported BLM when it mattered, just like they supported COVID fascism. So the key is not just celebrating the verdict, but understanding what led up to it and what we need to do about it in the future. Remember, the GOP opened their convention, right, the Trump-dominating convention, with prayers for the punk Jacob Blake, the person that, um, you know, cops in Kenosha were forced to shoot, rather than opening a prayer for Kyle Rittenhouse. So as much as I'd like to celebrate it, it's really the fact that it even went to trial, that it took this many days to, um, to, to get a verdict, And let's not forget that he had a lot going for him here. At the end of the day, it was an all-white jury. And, you know, the the, the problem we have is that we can no longer get a fair trial if there is someone who's white and the media already politicized it on trial and it's in an inner city. See, what separates the men from the boys, now it's easy to decide with Kyle Rittenhouse, not when it happened, but... The Derek Chauvin trial. And we still don't know the details of what did and didn't happen because he never had a fair trial. Whatever you think he did or didn't do and should be liable for, clearly he did not have a fair trial. And then everyone knows that. But no one wants to say that. And the difference is there's two important things that happen here. Now, we were scared. You know, I was sitting there with my, you know, holding my breath. And I, you know, like everyone else, I teared up because we thought that America was this bad. We couldn't even get a fair trial in a smaller town after the media politicizes it. But at the end of the day, it was in a smaller jurisdiction. It wasn't a major city. And at the end of the day, this judge, Schroeder, was very anomalous. There aren't many judges like that left. He's an old timer. And he really made a difference in the way he shepherded through this trial. That's not what we had in the Chauvin trial. So the point is, yes, there's some justice, but in most cases, you're not going to get um, a jury like that and a judge like that. And what are you going to do? You know, in other words, I'm not trying to say that Chauvin's as innocent as Rittenhouse, but what I am saying is this doesn't mean we're out of the woods that, oh, okay, at least we still have justice in America. No, we don't. Because I'm just telling you, had this been held in a different city with a different judge, you would have had a different outcome, even given the compelling evidence. Because, again, the evidence was so compelling, this should have never went to trial, gone to to trial at all. So that's the first point I wanted to make. 
Now, the other thing here is a lot of people are saying, well, you know, I get he was innocent, but he really shouldn't have been there. And you know what? Naturally, that would have been my inclination. I ain't going out there. But you know what? Someone's got to do it. What do you do when they were looting and burning and beating for months? Cops stood down. Well, people are supposed to stand there, so he went there to protect people with his gun and businesses. They attacked him. And, well, Daniel, it's still tragic. Well, I don't know. When you look at this Rosenbaum guy that he killed, his history as a child sex offender, put it this way, I ain't shedding tears over him. So this is the unpolitically correct way to view what went down there. Now, again, I don't know everything about Kyle and his personality. He's a young kid, still only 18 years old. But, you know, we need people standing up. But when you look at what's going on in this country, we have not solved the problem. The biggest thing we have going on, aside from COVID fascism, is the two-tier justice system. Meaning, one into another. If you have the right politics and the right race, you could be a repeat violent sex offender, burglar, battery, murderer, and you'll be let out. We have rampant crime in this country. But if you are the type that's either defending yourself, did nothing wrong, or sometimes did a minor crime, and your politics are not where we want it to be, and your race is not where we want it to be, We'll treat you like what we used to treat murderers, but no longer do. Hence, January 6th is now a punchline. Which leads me to what happened Sunday night. So we have this red Ford Escape scene charging full speed into this Christmas parade in uh, uh, Waukesha. Waukesha, Wisconsin. So far, as of right now, there are five people confirmed dead, including children, and 40 injured. This is biblical. This is, I mean, this is like on par with the worst vehicular jihad that that occurred in Israel over the years. And right away, we're all thinking, man, is this like an Islamic terror attack? I mean, this is a big deal. You you can imagine I'm knee-deep in COVID fascism, all my policy ideas, all my research, and I'm like, oh, great, now another thing happens. I'm looking at this. And now I'm like, oh, wow, so this is going to lead the week, and this is going to be the biggest news story. Before I went to sleep Sunday night, they said they have a suspect, a person of interest in custody. You know, I went to sleep, and I expected to wake up this morning to find out all the details. And then I looked, and, you know, the biggest news of the day was about COVID, other stuff. It, like, disappeared until I saw from people like Andy No, people on the right were reporting, oh, my gosh. They caught a guy who had a 20-year rap sheet, was just let out of jail three days, two days prior to the incident on a $1,000 bond despite multiple felonies and already breaking his previous bond from multiple felonies. And he has a social media, <coughs> a wide, widespread social media um, posting and following. He's a rapper, black nationalist, put out you know the typical kind of fair can type of stuff promoting BLM type of stuff. He was actually performing rap in front of that red, what appears to be the red Ford escape that was used in the in the attack. You know, as of now, he's still a suspect of interest. 
person of interest hasn't been charged yet as of this recording. But you look at that and like, oh my gosh, this is the biggest news story of, of, of the month. And it disappeared. You literally, in order to find out, you have to go to Google News. If you, you put in the, the suspect here, Daryl Brooks, or Daryl Edward Brooks Jr., into Google News, the top stories that talk about it are from the UK, are from another country. You'd expect to see CNN and Fox and this and that. No. Daily Mirror, you know, um, the UK Sun. <laughs> they have all the details of what I'm describing. But not here. Because we have a two-tier justice system. This is on its way to becoming the new Vegas shooting that disappears. So where do we go when we're being persecuted in this country? When we're, we're, we have a war on whites, a war on traditional values, a war on everyone. Except if you agree with the system. And by the way, ultimately politics trumps race. So if you're you know, obviously a, a black individual or someone else that doesn't fit their narrative... Um, then you'll be attacked as well. A lot of people, believe it or not, are considering Panama, which is why I want you guys to look at our sponsor at International Living, the American's Guide to Living and Retiring in Panama. Panama is now the world's number one wealth protection haven. A lot of American retirees and veterans are going down there because you can live in luxury for just $24,000. There's zero income tax. Your health care could be as little as $2,600 a year. Um, until this past year, I would have never thought about this, but look, we might have to evacuate one day. This might be a place to consider. If you go to buypanamanow.com slash conservative, you can get a copy today of the American's Guide to Living and Retiring in Panama. That's buypanamanow.com slash conservative. Sign up to claim your free series on investing in Panama's Pacific Riviera today. So I want you guys to think about this. Imagine if you had... Two days after the Derek Chauvin verdict, a known white supremacist with a total, you know, massive paper trail online of saying all this type of stuff about, you know, Chauvin's a hero, and uh, again, this hypothetical long criminal past travels from a predominantly white rural area to go to downtown Minneapolis where you're having a BLM parade and plows through it. I want you to allow your brain to run wild in this hypothetical as to what the media coverage would be. And now I want you to understand that is exactly what just happened. Okay? Waukesha is a very white area. This guy did not live there. He lived in Milwaukee. And just mowing them down. This is this is an unbelievable story, and the media has dropped it. No more interest. And it's funny because as of now, they're trying to say, oh, he was escaping another crime scene. So first of all, that's jailbreak. <laughs> See, this implicates another policy, but they'd rather it implicate that than BLM. So... That's what it is. So all of you guys that think, you know, some of you might have conservative friends out there that understand the media, the power of the media to turn up into down, inside into outside, but they can't understand it on COVID. They're bought into COVID. They're scared. They're bought into the vaccines and everything. You know, 
if you think that you couldn't have ubiquitous injuries from the shots and the media cover it up and black hole it, just look at what they're able to do every time there's an attack from a BLM guy, an Islamic terrorist, someone on the left that is like the worst of its kind of attack in the history of America. And it's a complete memory hole. And they get away with it. And people don't know about it. How many people in the country even know about this? You'd be surprised how, how, how few people. So first, you know, I, again, we don't know the details. We don't know the motive. But this guy goes by Math Boy Fly, his rapper name on social media. And there's a whole paper trail of him. Even There's even a posting of him talking about we need to run people over. He actually does talk about that. But he, um, where is this? He, he, yeah, he had a post about how to get away with running people over on the street. Run them over, keep traffic flowing, and don't slow down for any of these idiots. And, you know, he, um, he was a rapper that had a bunch of anti-police lyrics he obviously posted his hatred for um, Donald Trump. Like all of these guys, he was very into Hitler. Um, he posted something on November 13, 2015 on his Facebook. Hitler knew who the real Jews were. I don't think he wrote this, but it was like a meme uh, kind of praising Hitler. And yeah. So in other words, we're never going to hear about this. We're never going to hear about this. Two days after Kyle Rittenhouse, right near, um, you know, it's kind of in the same areas. He's from Milwaukee. It's happened in Waukesha, which is not too far from Kenosha. I mean, you'd think it would at least be a story to explore, right? No. So that that's what we have on that so far. I'm not going to speculate more. By the time you hear this, we might know more. But here's what we definitely do know. Here's what we do know. If nothing else, even if there's no racial motivation, political motivation, terrorist motivation, this guy had a 20-year rap sheet dating back to 1999 that had all sorts of stuff from you know, sexual uh, assaults, multiple gun felonies, of course, and battery, strangulation, domestic assault, also fleeing police, all sorts of things. And he barely served time in prison. And most recently, last year, he was caught, he was charged with bail jumping, felony, resisting arrest, second degree reckless endangerment, domestic abuse, disorderly conduct, battery, well, two domestic abuse charges. So he had weapons charges. Okay? And it turns out he was released. Um, last so this was uh, November 5th two weeks later two days before it was last Friday he was released on a thousand bail now even if you think those things are low level offenses but guess what 
in July of 2020, he was charged with two felonies, use of dangerous weapons, use of dangerous weapons, and possession of a gun as a felon. And he was released on 500 bail then, breaks the bail now, and he's still released on 1,000 bail. This is what's happening throughout the country. This is, there are tens of thousands of people like Daryl Brooks. So if nothing else, this is an indictment of jailbreak. And by the way, isn't it interesting that you have a career gun felon doesn't get punished for violating his bail caught with felony possession, which is always the case with these people. And guess what? He winds up killing people, allegedly, with a car. Which tells you, again, guns don't kill people. Repeat violent offenders that are released from jail are responsible for most murder in this country. And we all know that. So that's the thing. The, the, the importance is not going after the guns. It's going after the gun felons because those are the violent people that will likely kill people with a gun or with anything else that they can get their hands on. So again, I mean, a full rap sheet since 1999. Battery, guns, strangulation, suffocation, property destruction, you name it, it's all there. Then, there's this case in Nevada. He, it looks like he spent a decade in Nevada or so. In Washoe County, the Reno area, 2nd District Court, he was convicted for statutory sexual seduction. October 18, 2006, and he's registered in Nevada, not Wisconsin, Nevada, if you want to look it up, Daryl Edward Brooks Jr. as a sex offender, tier two sex offender. Okay? I don't know how long he served in prison, but I don't think that long. In June 2016, he was charged in the same court 10 years later for failing to obey the sex offender laws. I'm not sure exactly the nature of the violation. Um, he actually has a video on his social media talking about that, you know, like like he was trying to pimp her or something, but thought she was over 18, really 16, whatever. But the point is, so this is another case they're all talking about. There's a backlog in Wisconsin courts. So what's happening now is a convergence of several things. Number one, you have just the general leniency. Short sentencing, no sentencing, no jail time, releasing people pre-trial on low, no bail, despite serious crimes and, you know, having already broken bail uh, for other serious crimes, long rap sheets. But then you have what people forget is one of the many things from the lockdowns, from COVID fascism, that we're going to be dealing with for years to come is crime. Why? Because it, what it did is we, we shut down our court system. So there's an insane backlog. So now you have all these violent criminals that typically they used to be locked up pretrial, even if you let them out because you don't want to hold them innocent until proven guilty. So then, okay, so you go to trial. So we, we typically had a few months risk of them being on the street. Now it's years indefinitely. There's no court date. It is criminal for state legislatures, red states, not to address. Use the COVID funding rather than for the stupid vaccines. Use it to fund more jails and prisons and courts and prosecutors. But you have to tightly wrap that money 
and direct the funding so it's only used towards targeting the repeat violent offenders to make sure they're expeditiously adjudicated. And certainly to toughen our bail laws. But instead, the Republican Party has bought into this in all 50 states. I wrote about Indiana just Friday, which speaks exactly to this point. This is my last column last week, speaks exactly to what happened in Waukesha with this, with this guy, Daryl Brooks, allegedly. 43% of all murders in Indian, Indianapolis, 43% were committed by people either released early or on pretrial bail. And obviously, Indianapolis is suffering from record crime. They already surpassed their record they set last year, which was a new record. 245 homicides is another six weeks to go till the end of the year. According to the Indiana Department of Corrections, the incarcerated population has declined by approximately 20% over the past two years. Carjackings are skyrocketing in the city. And again, last year, Indianapolis blew out the previous homicide record by 37% that we're now surpassing. But Republicans, because they bought into this racist agenda, this black supremacist agenda, oh, we don't want to lock up too many blacks. That's what they said. And again, it's stupid because guess who the victims of this usually are? Not in, in, in Waukesha, but usually in most typical street crimes are blacks. I looked this up. Blacks compose less than 30% of Indianapolis's population, yet they accounted for 75% of all homicide victims in 2020. But Eric Holcomb is bought into the governor, the legislature. They're bought into jailbreak. Bought into jailbreak. Now, I do want to get into back to COVID stuff today. But just first wanted to preface the next uh, segment with another sponsor, Seven Cells. As you well know, we're partnering with this Florida Pharmacy to get ivermectin and nitazoxanide, um, two of the most promising anti-COVID agents, into people's homes. Again, uh, you know, unfortunately, insurance is not covering uh, doctor's visits to get a prescription and get the drugs. So they do all in one for you. It is cash prices, so you know you're going to have to pay, but you're going to have to pay anywhere. Um, here's what you have to do because there's actually a cyber attack and vendors are boycotting them, so they have to create a another page. You have to go to 7cells.com slash Daniel, so that's S-E-V-E-N-C-E-L-L-S dot com slash Daniel, and then put in offer code at checkout, the coupon Daniel, for 20% off. Um, you know, Thankfully, they've gone with a new shipping uh, carrier, so they're they're getting getting the uh, orders quicker. But I will tell you guys, this is not, I, I, I warned you, and I'm getting some emails from people, this is not for if you have COVID, because it will still likely take um, a few days, at least. I mean, even if it's quick, it's going to take a few days. You want to have it immediately, and you know who you are. Um, if you have other ways of getting it, get it. That's fine. I don't make money off this. But if you are looking for it, and you haven't gotten the virus yet, don't wait until you get the virus. Okay, so go to 7cells.com slash Daniel. Um, so you'll have it by the end of the week. And that way, if you get COVID, boom, you have it right away. 
Again, as we talked about last week, this is getting worse and worse. They're making the virus worse and worse, and we can't afford to lose more of our people. They're trying to kill us with the virus, and they're trying to kill us with crime. And these, these, are, these are really the two biggest issues now. Um, but before, before we do get to COVID, I just did want to say one more story remind me of, you know, again, just like with COVID, the Republican Party at a time when we need them to stand strong, they're on the other side. Last week, Governor Kevin Stitt, the Oklahoma governor, who is more rapidly pro-criminal than California Governor Gavin Newsom. He released the most criminals of anyone on a single day in America. It was over 300 a few years ago, and some of them have gone on to commit murder, gruesome murders, too, in one case. Like, one of them killed four people and ate someone's heart or something. Um, I wrote about it at the time. I'm forgetting where that happened in Oklahoma. But anyway... There's this guy, uh, Julius Jones, he faced lethal injection last week, and he stayed the injection and uh, basically uh, brought it down to life without parole. Um, this is a guy that is accused of um, of of killing, uh, uh, was it a cop killing? I'm forgetting. No, it wasn't a cop killing, but... Um, Basically, he he was accused of of murder, and what happened was Kim Kardashian and a football player and all these people had a campaign for the guy. He maintains his innocence, like most of them do. And here we go. And he was, you know, they state they stated the reality is all the prosecutors involved say the evidence is overwhelming. Trial transcripts transcripts show witnesses identified Jones as the shooter, placed him with Howell's stolen vehicle shortly after the murder. Um, investigators also found the murder weapon wrapped in a bandana with Jones' DNA in an attic space above his bedroom. Um, the victim's sister testified before the clemency board that she distinctly remembers seeing Jones shoot her brother in front of his two young daughters. Um... This is this is where we are. The same Republican, they're not lifting a finger to deal with the under-incarceration problem. They're not lifting a finger to deal with the bail problem, the court backlog problem, the weak sentencing problem. You cannot imagine how many violent criminals that used to be locked up a decade ago but now are out on the streets. Okay? The two biggest things killing us are viruses and crime and don't just think it's going to affect the inner city and gang wars because we're rapidly learning you have violent people out you know and we saw that in Waukesha although that might be motivated by something other than pure crime and we'll we'll see later on but the point being that Republicans aren't going to learn the lesson of Kyle Rittenhouse. It's not like the next time they do this, they're not going to jump on the race bandwagon. They're, it's not like they're going to stop promoting BLM, just like they're not learning anything from the shots and you know promoting COVID fascism. And that's the thing. We need to toughen self-defense laws in the country to make it clear that a guy like Kyle Rittenhouse could never be prosecuted in a case like that. We have to make that clear. When someone's beating on you, you're out in the street, someone's beating on you, you could shoot the guy. 
Now, you might say, well, Daniel, the law is already like that. True. And it was a out-of-control prosecutor. I get that. Um, but, but we absolutely need that. We absolutely need laws in place to deal with self-defense. Self-defense, crime, to the extent that our liberty, our strike force teams are not going to be pushing COVID agenda, you know, COVID fascist legislation, this certainly is a big, big priority in the coming days. So that's the story with Kyle Rittenhouse, with Waukesha. You know, I can't comment more until we get more information, but I did want to get back to some of the COVID news of the day. So there's a lot out there, and we're not going to be able to get to all my news items in the stack on COVID today, but um, just want to make a note. I do have an article out today on Merck's drug, Molnipiravir, giving you some of the links and information why the drug is utter trash and should be avoided once it comes out. Um, the juxtaposition to them uh, fast-tracking approval for Merck's drug while pigeonholing all of these other treatments that have the antithesis of Molnipiravir's safety profile. Molnipiravir is mutagenic, uh, potentially cancerous. It's, it's this nucleotide analog, a technology that introduces errors and mutations. It is a dangerous mechanism of action. It's been known for a while, whereas this other stuff, um, like ivermectin, fluvox, whatever, you know, hydroxychloroquine, you know, is so much safer, and yet, you know, obviously they don't, they don't approve it, and that is done by design. So I have an article out on that. At some point, I will write on Pfizer's drug, which is a little bit different and works differently and has different concerns, um, but it's kind of the same theme. So we'll have that information out. Uh, again, check out. If you ever can't find my columns, just type into DuckDuckGo, Daniel Hurwitz, Blaze, The Blaze, whatever, and you'll see the chronology of my articles. Click on my name, and you'll be able to see the most recent uh, dating back. Um, I want to I want to play a clip for you now, and it and it really comes with much sorrow. I don't take Lee in saying this, um, but I want to play for you a clip of former President Donald Trump. He was on with Mark Levin on a Sunday night show. Um, I've appeared on that show before, and take a listen to Trump talking about the vaccines. Yeah. First of all, I haven't seen anything new produced under this president, but this Operation Warp Speed, you had to take on the bureaucracy, you had to set up supply chains, you had to do something that's never been done in American history. Well, that's absolutely correct. Most vaccines take 12 years. They said this would take anywhere from three to five, but most likely more than five. And I got it done in less than nine months. And we saved tens of millions of lives all over the world, all over the world. So in 1917, as you know, we had the Spanish flu, it was called, and it possibly killed as many as 100 million people. You know, I don't know if you read the history of the Spanish flu, but you probably, I think you read about everything, come to think of it. But, but it probably was a thing that was most responsible for ending World War I, because all the soldiers were sick, and many were dying. The Spanish flu was devastating. And they say up to 100 million people died. And it probably did end World War I, but 100 million people. I think this would have been similar without the vaccine. Had we not gotten, and then, then I got Regeneron. We got uh, Remdesivir. We got many other things, therapeutic 
things that really, in my opinion, worked. I think Regeneron's great. Eli Lilly came out with something that's similar. We did a great job. And you know, it's interesting. So we did it in less than nine months. Okay, well, there you have it. Most vaccines take 12 years. They said this would take three to five, but, you know, I got it done in less than nine months. After everything we know that Pfizer has done, this is what he's touting. This is the issue that matters at the time it matters, in the way it matters. This matters to our life more than anything in the history of this country. And the man who is the great savior of the right is downright pimping the thing that is killing our life, literally, our children, our liberty. You know, I could understand if he would come out and say, look, you know, I didn't know what shenanigans they're up to. I just tried to make it available from a governmental standpoint to, to grease the skids as quickly as possible. But I never knew it would be used to violate informed consent and certainly to be mandated. Um, but now that it is, it's actually a problem that we cut corners and and uh, accelerated the timeline because now there's no safety ra guardrails. No, he thinks this is totally fine and his greatest accomplishment. Well, Mr. President, if that's your greatest accomplishment, then we'll take you on your word. And this should be absolutely disqualifying. You tell me where I'm wrong. You tell me where this guy will ever serve as a tool for taking back the country rather than making things worse. Let's not forget, all of COVID fascism began under his watch and his stewardship. Okay? Now, obviously, he didn't know that this was being concocted long before he got into office, but at least learn that now. I, I just I just don't get it. Again, I don't even care about him running for president in the sense that, oh, I want another guy to run for president and he's gonna, you know, push that guy out, someone who could be more effective. I don't care about it. The the, the country is lost, the national government is lost. We need to focus on a, on making a couple of states great again. But my problem is that if he does run, it's going to serve as such a distraction and everyone's going to put their hopes and aspirations into him and not do what it takes to win back locally and in red states. State legislatures focus on the governors, focus on, you know, pressuring legislators, meaning not just getting active on Election Day, but being active every day of the year. Let me tell you what does matter. Let me tell you what leadership does look like. Walt Disney announced in Florida that they're walking back their injection mandate and indeed they're going to rehire some of the people they fired. That's what leadership looks like. When it's not just passing a law, but they know that with DeSantis, there's going to be follow through. They know he's going to enforce it. See, everyone's like, Daniel, it's not going to work. They're, gonna they're not going to listen. They have too much power. We can't do this. We can't do this. Yes, it looks insurmountable until you actually fight it and poke it. Support for it is a mile wide and inch deep. This is the thing. Oh, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. But if you have a united front and you have a leader, and even then they're not so united because not all the Florida Republicans are behind him, but as much as you're going to get, it makes all the difference. That's why gubernatorial races are so, so important. The gubernatorial primaries 
are really the most important elections of our lifetime. But we have to get primaries in place. We don't even have that many. By the way, someone did send me, there is someone who's challenging Christy Nome in South Dakota. I have to take a look into him. I don't know much about him. He's evidently a former speaker. But that's the first thing I wanted to start off with today. Now, Mr. Trump, are you still proud of this? Dr. Stephen Gundry, he's a former cardiac surgeon. He published a study of 566 patients in the American Heart Association journal called Circulation, where he measured the body's immune response to arterial injury. And he found that the likelihood of a cardiac event in the vaccinated patients is going to be double over a five-year period. He concluded that both Moderna and the Pfizer mRNA shots problematically boost inflammation on the endothelium and T-cell infiltration of cardiac muscle and, and, and correlate with increased thrombosis, cardiomyopathy, as well as other adverse events. Basically, what he did is he took 566 people um, who are patients in his preventative cardiology practice, and they they received what's called a pulse cardiac test, P-U-L-S, cardiac test, um, two to 10 weeks after their second COVID shot. And it compared with a pulse score from three to five months pre-vaccination. Now, I don't, look, this is beyond my, pay grade, I'm just reading the results of the study, but the pulse cardiac test measures multiple protein biomarkers, um, including HGF, soluble FAS, and IL-16. So, and it uses the results based on that to calculate a five-year risk score for adverse cardiac syndromes. Right? Uh, I'm sorry, acute cardiac syndrome, ACS. So, you know, there's certain biomarkers that if you would monitor, you could say, hey, based on your levels of IL-16 and soluble FAS and HGF, again, I don't know what any of this stuff means, but you could imagine that like with most things that there are certain markers that if you were to test them, if you were to take everyone and monitor them, you'd be able to see who's at more at risk for cancer, but even more so cardio, much more so than cancer. Cancer will often surprise you. There are people that are more at risk for cancer, but, but certainly much more for heart disease. And they measure these markers, and every pulse score had above normal elevation. Okay? From pre-vaccination to post-vaccination, the levels of IL-16 increased um, from 35 to 82. Um, soluble FAS increased from... Um, 22 to 46, HGF rose from 42 to 86. As a result, the five-year acute cardiac syndrome pulse risk score increased from 11% to 25%. Okay? By the time the report was published, changes had persisted for two and a half months or more after the second vaccine dose. So two and a half months or more. 
Imagine if you looked over the course of a year. Oh, whoops, we never did a long-term study. Then again, Pfizer and Moderna never even did a short-term pulse study. But this is a very easy way to measure markers for something that the FDA has now admitted is a risk of the shots. And so many countries have already abolished the Moderna shot, and certainly for younger people, based on that. But now we know that it's a problem for Pfizer too, which is obvious because they have the same mechanism of action. So the same shot that we confirmed with Moderna causes cardiac issues. We have another shot that's similar that's being mandated on everyone in America. Mr. Trump, are you still proud of your great accomplishment? Then we have here another interesting story. And I'm just going to have to go through this uh, quickly because we're running out of time. Pfizer vaccine injuries. So as you well know, Aaron Seary, the civil rights attorney we had on the show, um, basically he tried to sue for documents and, and they got the judge to say in the Northern District of Texas that they do not have to release the pages of their, you know, the FDA um, correspondence and all the stuff that led up to, you know, the whole uh, um, workflow that led up to the approval until, what, what was it, uh, 2076, 55 years from now. But, but they did release about 90 pages. Okay, 90 pages. And his law office found something very disturbing. In a document titled Cumulative Analysis of Post-Authorization Adverse Event Reports of the Pfizer shot vaccine received through February 28th. So remember, these are just through February 28th. Okay. Um, two and a half months after Pfizer got the EUA, the document reflects adverse events following vaccination that have completed Pfizer's workflow cycle. On page six, Siri, and this is on his Substack. You could just Google Aaron Siri Substack. DuckDuckGo, obviously. And here is what he says. Here's what it says in the report. Due to the large numbers of spontaneous adverse event reports received for the product, Pfizer has prioritized the processing of serious cases. Then Pfizer also took multiple actions to help alleviate the large increase of adverse event reports, including increasing the number of data entry and case processing colleagues, and has onboarded approximately blank additional full-time employees to redacted. So they admit that they had their own reporting and it was flooded with serious events and they couldn't even keep up with it. Again, two and a half months into it, Pfizer, this is separate from theirs, Pfizer's own reporting, they received 42,086 reports containing 158,893 events. Almost 159,000 events just in two and a half months. Most of these reports were from the U.S. Incidentally, three-quarters of them involved women, which is weird, and those between age 31 and 50. And by the way, you know why, because for older people, they just assume they just, well, that was their time to go. They just died. 
It's not that it's not killing older people. It definitely is. 25,957 of these adverse events were classified as nervous system disorders. So this is just what, we, what, what we've been able to glean from these documents. Could you imagine if we got more? But I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. We have more to talk about. There's a pre-printed study out from German professors. Rolf Steyer and Gregor Kapler, published November 16th. Not published, posted. It's not published yet. It's pre-print. And they looked at the excess mortality in the 16 German federal states and their vaccination rates to, to see, and they looked at weeks 36 to weeks 40. Okay, so that's, you know, last month, excess deaths. Now, you would expect to that, that you know, the vaccines are so amazing, COVID is rampaging through Germany, and you would have excess deaths where you had lower vaccination rates. But instead, what they found was that for the period under consideration, week 36 to week 40, the following applies. The higher the vaccination rate, the higher the excess mortality. The higher the excess mortality. And again, remember, we already saw the Harvard study that already a while ago, before, and this was before the real outbreaks we're seeing the last number of months, he saw a weak reverse correlation between case rates. Here he's finding a very strong correlation, by the way. Um, if you look on a scatter diagram, very strong correlation between a higher the higher vaccination rate, the higher the excess mortality. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's all coming from COVID or even at all any of it coming from COVID, or possibly they might even have lower death rates from COVID, but if it is, it's more than outweighed by the excess deaths of the shot. And and like we said before, the important thing about COVID now that we, the COVID shots, now that we know the injections are so dangerous, just look at the neurological issues, the cardio issues, the blood disorder issues. Um, You know, now that we know that, we know it's so dangerous. It's stupid to look at efficacy in a vacuum, even if it would have a degree of efficacy against serious illness for a certain period of time for a certain number of people. But you have to look at the total picture. If it's killing more people than it's saving, that's insane, especially when you could save all those people and many more much more effectively than the shots with early and prophylactic treatment that doesn't come with any of these adverse events and they're safer than Tylenol. But this is unbelievable. So if you want to Google Professor Rolf Steyer, the higher the vaccination rate, the higher the excess mortality, it's at skirsch.com, S-Kirsch, as in Steve Kirsch. Steve Kirsch posted this, S-K-I-R-S-C-H.com. That's Steve Kirsch's website. Kudos to Steve for finding this. I would have never found this. This was from last week. Um, and the correlation is plus 0.31 is amazingly high and especially in an unexpected direction. Okay. So this is something you're not going to hear about. 
you are not going to hear about. Now let me move this on. What about children? Okay, we're told, oh, there's no problem with vaccinated women. There's no problem not giving something that has been proven to be dangerous to pregnant women when it has not been studied, when traditionally we don't even give pregnant women Advil. Okay? Oh, there's nothing to see about all these hundreds of thousands of women getting irregular menstrual cycles. And the fact that the lipid nanoparticles happen to deposit more than anywhere except for the spleen in the ovaries. No, there's nothing to be seen. Don't worry. Plenty of women have gotten pregnant after having gotten the shot. Well, we already know there's been tons of miscarriages midterm, but it's never quantified. There's no way to prove it. What about the births? Well, you know, we're, we're already more than nine months after the shot. And women who either became pregnant after, even became pregnant after the shots are starting to give birth. And certainly if they got the shots while they were pregnant, they're starting to give birth. This is from the Scotland Herald. The Herald. Official figures reveal that 21 infants died during September within 28 days of birth, causing the neonatal mortality rate to breach an upper warning threshold known as the control limit for the first time in at least four years. But it's worse than that. This is the first time the the warning has been breached in four years, but this is the highest level since the late 1980s. Although the rate fluctuates month to month, the figure for September at 4.9 per 1,000 live births is on par with levels that were last typically seen in the late 1980s. That's insane because... You know, infant mortality is something that's really gone down, 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 down consistently. So to go back over 30 years suddenly within a few months, correlating right with the time you would expect to see it based on the adverse events from the vaccination curve, that's a big problem. Public Health Scotland, which is one of the bodies currently investigating the spike, said the fact that the upper control limit has been exceeded indicates that there is a higher likelihood that there are factors beyond random variation that may have contributed to the number of deaths that occurred. Well, gee, what what else could it be? Hmm. See, this is what we're going to see. You're never going to see a smoking gun right in front of your eyes. But it's all these things put together. And it's never going to be traced back. Never going to be traced back. This is where we are. Now, I know we're going we're going to go a little bit long today, but there's just so much to go over here um, that man, I can't even can't even scrape the surface here today. But what is the solution? I want to show you just one study on vitamin D. Okay, just one study on vitamin D. I think we referenced this before, but now it's published. Also a German study. They did a very amazing study on vitamin D. There's been about 150 studies showing the correlation between high vitamin D levels and better outcomes, low vitamin D levels and lower outcomes. Perfect, perfect correlation. Perfect as you go up the scale of NLs per mg. If you're familiar with the rates, most of the deaths are people below 2025. 20, you get above 30. There are, there are you know, you know, few deaths and much fewer hospitalizations. 
and you get above 50, this study showed, you basically go down to zero chance of death. Let me just read to you from the conclusion. Although there are a vast number of publications supporting a correlation between the severity and death rate of SARS-CoV-2 infections and the blood level of vitamin D3, there is still an open debate about whether the relation is, is causal. This is because in most studies, the vitamin D level was determined several days after the onset of infection. Therefore, a low vitamin D level may be the result and not the trigger of the course of infection. So in other words, what they're saying is, and this and this is true anyway, um, Vitamin the the virus a lot of every virus but particularly this one takes a bite out of your vitamin D when you get it so whatever level you are headed into it it drops when you get the virus which is why you know you know we we say to take four or five thousand IU's a day prophylactically but if you get the shot if you not the shot if you get the virus it's the same thing um, you should really be taking during that week that course of it forty fifty thousand IU's of it. Now, usually you need a prescription for that. The most I've seen available commercially, you know, over the counter is ten thousand. Um, so, you know, again, this is—it's disgusting that people are not give, given this advice prophylactically when they get it. It is criminal, criminal. But they're saying until now you could have said, you know, maybe really it just—it takes away your vitamin D. Um, so there's no proof that if you headed into it with a high level, you'll be better off. Well, let me continue. In this publication, we used a meta-analysis of two independent sets of data. One analysis is based on the long-term average vitamin D levels documented for 19 countries. The second analysis is based on 1,600 hospitalized patients. 784 is a pretty big sample size who had their vitamin D levels measured within a day after admission and 817 whose vitamin D levels were known pre-infection. Okay, so they were known pre-infection. Both data sets show a strong correlation between the death rate caused by SARS-CoV-2 and vitamin D uh, blood level at a threshold of 30 NGs per ml. Mortality decreases consider considerably. In addition, our analysis shows that the correlation for the combined data sets intersects the axis at approximately 50, which suggests that the vitamin D3 blood level may prevent any excess mortality. These findings are supported not only by a large infection study showing the same optimum, but also by the natural levels observed in traditional people living in the region where, where humanity originated from that were able to fight most infections and most individuals. Now, what's, what's so funny is, so what's the punchline? The punchline should be, instead of the stupid shots, why are we not telling people to bulk up on their vitamin D and why are we not giving them mega doses as soon as they get it, especially in the hospital? And really, they should be getting the active form D through blood infusion. But instead, like any conclusion that doesn't fit the narrative in order to get it published, they have to say, vaccination is and will be an important keystone in our fight against SARS-CoV-2. Now, how... Do you know how careful they are in their wording of a conclusion in a scientific paper? You have to be like, this thing, you know, concludes, shows that it needs further study, right? You just conclude, vaccination is important. Well, what do you mean? Your study doesn't show that. It has nothing to do with that. How are you able to put that in your paper? But yeah, however, current data clearly show that the vaccination alone cannot prevent all infections, dissemination of the virus. This scenario possibly will become much worse case of mutations. Therefore, based on our data, the authors strongly recommend combining vaccination with routine strengthening of the immune system of the whole population to consistently guarantee blood levels above 50. From a medical point of view, this will not only save many lives, but also increase the success of vaccination. <laughs> From a social and political point of view, it will lower the need for further contact 
uh, restrictions and lockdowns from an economic point of view will save billions of dollars. Could you imagine something this cheap causes no harm, causes 50 other health benefits, and people are not being given that education to get yourself tested? Doctors should be giving people a plan because, you know, some people have absorption issues. They should be given the active form of D, obviously together with K2 and magnesium that help absorb it. You know, especially if you have issues with absorption, like my level's up to 70, but, you know, I'm young, I'm healthy. Obviously, it took very well. Um, other people might not have that success so quick. We've had 19 months, 20 months to do this. Criminal, utterly criminal. Anyway, we are definitely out of time today. Um, but again, I wanted to make sure I gotten all the information but it all ties together back into the first part of the show, first half of the show. And that is everything that is killing us. We're being lied to and it's being ignored. And what is being sell, sold is a panacea, whether it's critical race theory, whether it's de-incarceration, and whether it's COVID fascism. is not just not a cure, but it is the actual ailment. We need to get the truth out. Send this show to all your friends and relatives. Um, again, we will have a show tomorrow, but not on Wednesday. And then uh, on the other side, we will have a very special 1,000th episode. It will be our 1,000th anniversary. We will be having the Florida governor on the show. Let me know what you are interested in hearing from him. You can email me, dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.